people, if they have no idea, I just say, well, you know, when a film's playing or a TV show, there's music in the background. That's my job. Hey, this is Karis, and welcome to Teach Me in 20, the podcast where we learn from a new guest each week. And this week, we're chatting with Hollywood composer Silas Hyatt. Silas is an Emmy-winning composer whose music can be heard on films such as The Space Between Us, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, TV shows such as The Chef's Table and Burn Notice, as well as video games and ad campaigns. So he's super busy. He's also the nephew of Bob and Mark Mothersbaugh from the band Devo. You may remember this song. Now whip it! So we talk about what it's like growing up with that musical influence, what it's like living in LA from a music standpoint, why everyone's going there, and just about his journey from being an intern at Mutata Musica all the way to being an award-winning freelance Hollywood composer. If you like it, give it some love. Make sure you rate it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Every review you make helps people find the Teach Me in 20 podcast. Let's get to it. Teach me in 20. We've got Silas Hyde. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You've been busy. You've got an album out, Amigos, and you've been working with the Perth Symphony Orchestra. I was reading one interview and you said you liked the variety of your work. Do you think that's what sort of kept you in the industry for so long? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you really have to take on a lot of different jobs to keep afloat as a professional composer, you know, at any level. I mean, um, you know, even even guys like Hans Zimmer, or you know, the top of the top are taking basically as many jobs as they can handle. And uh, on downward, you just you take what you can. But the part of the reason I became a composer is because I do love writing in lots of different styles and the different challenges that each kind of platform presents. I find really interesting. So, yeah, I, I keep busy. And you're living in LA. What made you take that leap to go and live there? You know, to be a film or TV composer, you um, you do kind of have to live in Hollywood or New York. Certainly you can do it elsewhere, but it, it's easier here. You know, there's just more connections to be made. And this is where the majority of the work is being made. And um, uh, so that was a big part of it. Uh, my uncles run a studio called Mutato Musica in Hollywood. And uh, they let me intern there and they gave me like a, I forget if it was three month or six month internship when I first got out of college and they were like, all right, we'll give you a shot. You know, you can start by, you know, doing all the grunt work that interns do photocopies and making coffee and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But little by little, they let me write music too. And, um, you know, I got, I got pretty good at it pretty quickly and uh, pretty soon they gave me a studio and I was just, uh, I was an in-house composer there for about seven years. Yeah, quite the journey. And on that note, your uncles, Mark and Bob Mothersbaugh, was that a bit of pressure growing up with that family history in the music scene and you're trying to enter that world as well? Oh, no, no, no pressure, not at all. Um, Just inspiration. I, uh, you know, grew up listening to them and saw that they were living a life in music and they seemed, you know, relatively normal to me because they were my uncles. So, I mean, you know, they're family and like, so it just seemed like something achievable that someone like I could do if they could do it. I'm, obviously they're very special and very talented, but you know, we have a lot in common and it just felt like, Oh, Hey, this is something achievable. It's not some far off dream. You know, maybe, maybe there is, maybe this could be something for me. Yeah. And 
you mentioned before, you, so you studied at the University of Arizona and then started working with them at their studio, Matato Musica. Was that, is that a natural progression for composers going from study to then work or is there any self-taught ones out there? Oh, you know, the, the thing with music is there's just no prescribed path, which makes it hard for people to get into. Um, but it's also kind of a cool thing. It's, you know, there's no real way to, to do it. It's not like a job where as long as you go to school, you'll have that degree and then you can get the job you want. You know, there's no guarantees. But I do think that studying helps a heck of a lot, especially if you want to be a composer or like a studio musician or something like that. You've got to put in the time and learn that stuff. And then, and then, yeah, your first jobs are kind of, you know, learning on the job and, and proving yourself and, and learning and catching up sort of like that um, as an intern or, you know, low person on the totem pole. Yeah. Let's talk about the jobs as well. And I believe they're called scores in your industry. Uh How does, so you're given a project, a film to work on. How do you go about that? Are you watching the film before you're composing the music on it? What's the process involved? Yeah. Usually with a movie, they'll send you a rough cut. So the film's not totally done, but it's it's roughly what it's going to be. Like they might still be moving scenes around and cutting things out or fixing things. And um, but it gives you a good sense of what the film is. And then um, a lot of times they've already put some music in. It's called temp music. So for example, they might put in, you know, the music from Star Wars or something to to let me know oh, we want a big orchestral piece here. And we like the, you know, the the sort of mood of this and the pacing of it. And it it gives you and the director a place to start talking. So, so let's say, for example, there's a piece of Star Wars music in it. I could say, okay, so you, do you want a full orchestra here? Is that what you're going for? And they'd say either yes or no, we can't afford that, you know, or can you, can you make it sound like that without a full orchestra or things like that? But it gives you a place to start talking about the music. And then usually what I do is, you know, once you kind of watch it, get an idea of what they're thinking, talk about whatever musical ideas they might have and whatever I might have just to start, then I usually take a couple of scenes and just just try scoring them to sort of feel it out for myself and see what instruments work well against the picture and help tell the story. And then you send it to them and they watch it and, uh, you know, give you feedback. And they might say, oh, I love, I love the pacing. You totally nailed it. Uh, you know, you hit that moment there that I didn't even think of that really, you know, uh, putting some emphasis there helps really tell the story. But I don't like hearing a marimba can we change that instrument? And then, so I try something else. And, and so it's a back and forth process that goes like that throughout the movie, pretty much. People probably don't realize the actual impact the music has on a, you know, a piece. Like I, I know a few TV shows I've watched and I've, especially since I was going to be talking to you, been really honing in on the music and it's, <laughs> it's such an impact. I mean, do you, are you surprised when people go, oh, you know, what is, what is a composer or they don't actually know what you do and how do you ex- describe it to them? Um, I wouldn't say I'm surprised because, um, you know, unless you're probably living in Los Angeles or somewhere like that, you might not know a composer, you know, you might not have a lot of experience with, with them. Um, but I mean, you know, I basically just say, you know, how I tell people if they have no idea, I just say, well, you know, when a film's playing or a TV show, there's music in the background. That's my job. (laughs) And I, you know, if they want to get more into it, I can explain you know, how I'm supporting the story and helping, helping tell the story in these ways and, you know, things like that and get deeper into it. But yep. that's the, that's the quick answer. How long does a film usually take? It'll take as long as they 
as they give you. I mean, sometimes the worst scenarios are like two or three weeks. And sometimes you, you get lucky and you have a couple of months, which is great. The best experiences I've had are probably where I've been able to actually write some music ahead of time, like see some scenes, write a bunch of music and give it to them. And uh, they'll actually put it in different places in the movie and say, hey, this piece that you wrote for this scene also works really cool here. Can you do a different version of that same piece? You know, change up some of the instruments and maybe the mood a little bit or whatever to fit the scene things like that. Um, I kind of like having a back and forth like that, which is kind of nice. And that's something that often happens if you're working closely with the editor on a film is they take a big hand in the music often. Okay. And so sometimes they'll, you'll go back and forth with them. Um, but it really just depends your question about, you know, how long does it take? I, honestly, the shorter the time period, the better, because if you take too long, um, sometimes you can write something that works great. And then after the directors lived with it for six months and watched it over and over and over and listened to it over and over, they hate it by the end, even though it was perfect to start with or they loved it in the beginning. And so I'm always a little bit wary when they're like, oh, we've got a year. Let's get started now. And I'm like, that's probably not going to be to anyone's advantage. No. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I can imagine. I know it's hard enough editing podcasts and hearing my voice over and over and the same thing. So I can't imagine what a year would do to you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned editors and directors. Are you ever given complete creative control on a project or is it always a to and fro? Um, sometimes. Probably not like complete, complete, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, it is their story you know, that I'm trying to help tell just using music. So it's not like they're coming to me saying, hey, can we make a movie based on your music? You know, so um, I wouldn't say there's ever complete 100% creative control, but some projects, you know, um, you have that luxury for whatever reason, either the director is just so busy putting out other fires or they just trust you or they just want to see what you do. Um, I've had some great experiences with younger I shouldn't even say younger, just less experienced directors who have said, hey, look, uh, this is my first or second film. I know you've done this many times. I feel like I'm in good hands. I've heard what you do. I like what you do. You do your thing. Of course, I'm going to have feedback and thoughts, but I'm trusting you. I want to see what you do. And usually that works great because then I'm you know, I I mean, I'd like to think I do know what I'm doing at this point. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. How does it differ from doing a film, say, a a TV show or video game, and you've been involved in a a lot of ad campaigns as well? Mm -hmm. Well, commercials are really quick. Like, you might have a day to do something or to write multiple tracks, you know, 24 hours or less. Um, uh, Video games are are much longer. They usually give you months, which is great. Not always. Sometimes they're quick, but they're usually kind of longer and with with commercials you've got like a team of creatives that you're trying to please that are all working on the project at an ad agency you have to please everybody involved there and not only them but then of course their client whoever is the main thing being advertised in the commercial they have to be happy of course too so there's a lot of people to please with a video game it's typically just the audio director you're working with for the most part which is just the one person on the game that's sort of in charge of all the audio and the music And so, and they're typically a composer too, or have a lot of musical training. So that's kind of fun and can be um, 
great conversations because you can really get in depth about things you want to try musically or if something's not working you can both have an in-depth conversation about why it's not working musically you know things like that um tv tv's changed so much like when i first started i was doing you know at my uncle's studio i was helping score shows that were on network tv and you only have a day or two to do a 30 minute episode and we worked in teams and you know cranked it out and uh you just you do the best you can in very short time periods and you know you work crazy hours um, and I kind of loved it though. You get into this insane routine and you just bang out the whole show, you know, whole season in like a month or two and it's nuts. And you wake up and you're like, wow, that was intense. It's over now. Okay. Um, and then films I sort of already described, but it's, uh, you know, those time, the time involved can be very short or very long. Yeah. I guess it gets back to that variety as well. It just sort of keep, mm-hmm. always keeps you on your toes. There's always something different to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the different, the fact that they are on different timetables helps composers juggle more than one project at once. You know what I mean? Because if I have six months to work on a video game, I'm not working on it every day. And so in between, I can still do commercials or TV show or things like that. Yeah. So what does a typical day look like for you? Well, I'm most creative early in the morning. So I get up pretty early and um, start writing. And I usually spend most of the morning writing. Um, because that's when it's the fastest. It just, the music just kind of comes out very quickly then. And my ears are fresh and everything like that. And if I can, I just try and mostly do the writing in the mornings. And then in the afternoon, you know, if I have to keep writing, I do, but I start to slow down as the day goes on. And so I like to, you know, relegate other tasks to the afternoon that are sort of, um, you know, social media or um, catching up on emails or invoicing, you know, things like that that don't require as much creativity. Yeah. Are there any days when you're not feeling it? Like, how do you get those creative juices flowing? Um, you know, I'm thinking of like writer's block. and I'm mm-hmm. sure there's people out there who just, yeah, would love to hear. A little bit, but I'll tell you what, it's deadlines are the most inspiring thing you're ever going to have. Yeah. Because when you just have to get it done, you don't have the luxury of like, oh, I don't know, you... You just jump in and do it. And at this point, you know, so much of what I'm doing is craft. Like I know how to build this thing that I need to make. And so I know enough about it that even if I'm not feeling super inspired, I know, for example, like, okay, well, this, they want a rock and roll track. So, okay, I'm going to get out some drums, guitar, bass. Let's get started with that. You know, and you just, you just work into it. Um, I think just being really busy helps. Yeah. with inspiration but I've constantly got ideas for albums and things like that that I want to work on and more stuff and there's just there's just never enough time for it all so if I'm not feeling inspired about one thing sometimes I'll just work on something else for a while that I'm you know I feel like there's work to be done there yeah this might be a stupid question but you just mentioned drums and everything so are you making the music in your studio or are you able to also get pre-programmed things you know like I guess pr- mm-hmm. DJs and producers that's not a dumb question at all. That's a great question. Um, um, so I try and play as many instruments on things as I can because I play a lot of instruments and it just helps the quality of the music if you have real people playing. If it's in- an instrument I can't play, for example, I don't play strings like uh, you know violin, cello, things like that. So um, I hire a lot of string players. And for some reason, I'm doing a lot of string work these days. And uh, so I'll bring them in and record them um, if there's not budget or time for that, you know, I've got excellent samples in my computer 
and you know all composers have samples that they use so for example let's say it's a string quartet i would write i would write it first on my computer using samples so i'd pull up a violin sample write the violin part pull up a cello sample write the cello parts then i make the sheet music give it to the real players if i have real players and then they replace it so i have real real instruments um so there's that that's that that pretty much covers it i mean you can buy a lot of stuff like you know drum loops or um you know percussion loops or any instrument you can think of there are kind of pre-made loops and things like that that you buy um and you can use in your stuff but usually that doesn't help the quality okay i mean maybe for pop songs or something but not but honestly for like score and stuff if you're using loops and pre-made stuff it it sounds like it and that's usually not a good thing okay yeah it's just interesting obviously because technology has come so far as well so it's cool to hear that you know you're actually playing the music Mm -hmm. and getting it done authentically i wanted to ask as well you went from working with your uncles to then going out on your own why was that a good time why did that feel right then well it's funny it was probably a horrible time because we were having a recession (laughs) that was pretty bad but uh you know i'd felt like i uh had just hit a ceiling there i was doing commercials tv shows video games movies and it was great it was exactly what i wanted to do i loved everybody i worked with um but it was just kind of the same thing over and over and over and i kind of felt like i wasn't going to get any further grow anymore as a composer or you know be able to kind of make a name for myself or develop more of my own sound and follow the ideas I wanted uh, by working there. And I wanted to make more albums too, which wasn't part of the job there. And I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily part of my job now, but I just make albums because it's my creative, you know, it's an outlet for me. And I just love doing that there. I consider them like art projects really, because, you know, I do the artwork and I write all the songs and mostly play all the instruments and things like that. Um, and I couldn't do that so much there. So, yeah, I think it was about 10 years ago that I left there and became freelance. And it was definitely hard at first because it was a recession. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of work to go around. Um, but I slowly, um, you know, worked my way up. And it's been 10 years, thankfully, of just kind of doing the same thing I was doing there, but just for myself, you know, and under my name. At, you know, at the same time that that was happening, um, I got married. And ah, my wife and I, thank you. Um, yeah, we, we just were feeling like we never saw each other because I had to commute to the studio and she was commuting to work. And so we actually both quit our jobs at the same time. And we were like, you know what? We didn't get married for this to not see each other ever. And so we quit our wow. jobs and we were like, we're just going to figure it out. And you know what? We did. That's great. Oh, well, you now have a studio at your own place. Mm-hmm. Do you find, I'm always interested in people that, that work from home. Do you find it hard to find that balance and also switch off from your work? Yeah, it's hard to switch off, but I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with it anyway. And like part of the reason I chose music as a career to to pursue was I, you know, I asked myself at some point, like when I was a teenager, like, what would, what would I be doing if no one was paying me or if I didn't have any homework or chores or whatever other stuff to do? And it was just always, I wanted to make music and make art and be creative. And, and even now, if I don't have a client, like right now work is slower because of COVID. And so I do have a bit more free time, but that free time I'm, you know, I'm just playing music anyway. So having a studio built at the house was it's just a way to be able to 
get out my ideas whenever I want and kind of work around my own schedule. And also, frankly, doing a lot of commercials, you have to be on call and do stuff like right now. So having a, a you know, an hour drive to the studio or something wouldn't work. Um, so just kind of streamline things. And these days, clients don't even want to come to a studio. They want you to email everything, you know, because everything's, just, you know, go, go, go as fast as possible. We got to do it now. And so, you know, nobody wants to take the time to drive across town to come to a studio. So it didn't make sense to rent one somewhere else or buy one somewhere else. You know, um, it's more and more composers here, probably everywhere are just, you know, building something at home and if they're able to. Yeah. You've accomplished so much already in your career so far. What's left? So what else is on your list of what you hope to achieve? I also wanted to ask, you know, for a composer, what is the peak success? What is, you know, what's everyone looking for? Because you've already had films, you've won an Emmy. Just, yeah. I mean, what's next? Uh, in terms of success, I think, you know, everyone probably measures that differently. Um, I've def I've won awards, which is really cool. And I'm grateful for that. But um, to me, the it's more about being able to just write music for a living and a comfortable living is, you know, a bonus. Um, just being able to have a long sustained career and people keep coming back and keep seeking you out to work with you is to me, that's what makes me feel successful is I've got people that want to pay me to just be creative all day. That, that for me is kind of like it. Um, what's left, I think, for me, it's uh, a couple things. I have a ton of albums I want to make. <laughs> it's just tons of ideas for for records. I'm I'm, um, I'm always working on that stuff, but it's also just I just want to keep having quality projects come through. I love doing video games. I think there's a ton of room for creativity there. Um, really have been some of the most fun I've ever had on projects working on games. So I'd like to continue to do that, and I'd like to develop more long-term relationships with directors where we can do project after project and get better together where we start speaking the same language you know what I mean and building together like a like a good example that some people are familiar with would be Danny Elfman and Tim Burton you know doing films together one after the other for years and years until their styles are like you know intertwined and um, but it's for the best I think I think it's a great kind of so I'm seeking those working relationships. And as well, you mentioned albums, plenty, mm -hmm. plenty more to do. And you've also got one recently released, Amigos. Mm -hmm. Amigos? Do you say Amigos or Amigos? Uh, amigos. Yeah. So what was the inspiration behind that? And what are you hoping people feel when they listen to it? Well, the songs are really honest. Um, they're, uh, it's sort of an Americana style, which if you're not familiar with that, it's um, a blend of like, folk and bluegrass kind of old country maybe a little bit of rock that kind of stuff all blended together in the and uh the name of the pro the name of the band by the way is the satin cowboy and the seven deadly sins so if you look up silas height you'll find like my scores and things like that but if you look up the satin cowboy and the seven deadly sins then you'll find amigos um but the songs are just really about storytelling and genuine emotion and connection and i that's what i'm that's what I'm really looking for is uh, I love it when people reach out and say, Hey, this song really touched me. And this album has been really phenomenal in that way. I've gotten so many messages from people just being like, I have your song on repeat. Um, I lost someone recently and this song is helping me get through 
this time, you know, things like that. Uh, that's just so rewarding. And that's, you know, more rewarding than any award or anything could ever be. So just trying to spread that, spread that, uh, you know, that uh, the music out there and hopefully foster more connections with people that way. Yeah. Oh, that's very rewarding as well. What about Silas? I wanted to leave with one question as well. Mm -hmm. What's something that people may not know about being a composer or the industry or that occupation, if you could teach us one thing? I'm sure. I think one thing that uh, most composers or people that want to be composers don't know going into it is that you are uh, 50% psychologist or psychiatrist as well, because you're constantly <laughs> trying to... Um, take what a director is telling you and then translate it into musical terms and also trying to get behind what they're really saying. Um, do I take it at face value or do I have to dig deeper than that? What can I ignore? What can I not? And it has a lot to do with that person's personality and taste. And so you're, you really have to, you know, you're, uh, you're studying humans while you're doing your job, while you're trying to do your job. And uh, that's something that I think people don't, think about and a lot of composers uh don't have a lot of success because they don't have great social skills i just <laughs> say but uh, it's true and i think you actually need good social skills to be able to to collaborate because that's what it's really all about yeah absolutely oh silas has been really insightful thank you so much for your time today and thanks all the best me. for the rest of the year Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It'll only cost you 20 minutes. Hope you enjoyed that one and learnt more about the life of a composer. If you've got any questions, make sure you drop them in our Facebook group, Teach Me In 20 podcast Facebook group. Join up and ask a question that I might have missed. See you next week. Teach Me In 20. Teach Me In 20.